Nate? Gents, I think I may have lost you here. Give me a second. Okay. I'll edit it together so it looks seamless. <laughs> Audio geniuses. I, I am an audio genius now. Uh, and, so, and, and joining us from the ball. Yeah, this is, this is Nate Bethay from uh, Hell of a Way to Die. How's it going? It is a horrible, rainy, shitty uh, Saturday here in London, which is very regular here in the caliphate of Tower Hamlets. Yes, we're in the no-go zone of Tower Hamlets, uh, where the alignment of Gucci Gang and Al-Qaeda in the Sinai um, have joined forces to um, ensure that women can only leave the tube station if they're wearing their supreme branded burkas. Um, so congratulations, Olga, for like getting copying that much. Raheem Kassam tried to warn us, <laughs> but we didn't listen to him. I swear I've seen this all briefed by Mike Flynn someplace. You know, there's a PowerPoint presentation all about the Supreme branded burkas. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he thinks that palace is one of the pillars of Islam. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, we're in one piece for now. Yeah. Well, I'm, um, I'm actually not in one piece. I'm in Naruto. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Well, I, I was going to say, I mean, I could introduce it where I'm recording from, but I figure you could just log on to the Strava app and you'd be able to find me right away because clearly I can't go anywhere without tracking my fitness. That's a segue, right? That's now. a fantastic segue into our discussion of the, of dumb technology in the military. Nate, do you want to tell us uh, what, uh, what's been happening recently uh, with fitness tracking in the Strava? I'll put this with a little bit of a caveat. I, I was in the military, but a little while ago, and when I left in 2014, um, fitness tracking technology had not become so uh, ubiquitous to the point where people were wearing fitness apps while deployed to combat, um, or at least I, I wasn't aware of it. Uh, but but recently, Strava, which brands itself as a sort of um, Garmin fitness app that's open source where you can track your personal bests and so on and so forth and share them online, um, very uh, enthusiastically released its global heat map that showed the routes, et cetera, that all of its users, you know, are recording, I guess, whether they're aware of that or not around the world. And um, perhaps, uh, perhaps unwittingly, they released this map, which revealed the active fitness routes taken by U.S. military forces who are deployed to bases that you might not know exist around the world in places no like Syria. Way. No way. <laughs> exactly. And so, so for sure, um, I mean, I can remember almost nine years ago when I was deployed to Afghanistan, you know, we'd run this perimeter route around the base. I found that exact base that I was deployed to. Um, and sure enough, Strava users are wearing their, their GPS units and running that same perimeter. But even more ridiculous, some, in some cases, some of these people were wearing their fitness units while they were on patrol, perhaps to like check their heart rate and how many miles they walked while climbing up and down mountains to get into overwatch position. So not only could you see the perimeters and the, the street routes, all of the cross sections, et cetera, of these in these forward operating bases. But in some cases you could see the sort of flower petal of the foot patrols people were taking in those areas while on combat missions. You've got to get the so, steps in. You know, what's the, the, the Jay Shetty uh, fitness method of doing 100,000 steps a day, never sleeping, um, not pooping in February, uh, and, 
you know, meditating and doing all the business monk stuff. Exactly. It's going to, you're making sure that, you know, the, um, the Taliban uh, know where you are so that the fight can be fair so that, you know, everyone knows <laughs> that like we won it because of our metal. You know, we, we were like, yeah, we're not even trying to hide from the Taliban. We're not even trying to hide from anyone. We're the U S army. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be fair if you got in a firefight if you weren't hitting your target heart rate at the same time. So you, you got to make sure that uh, on top of, you know, engaging with fire and maneuver, you're also, you know, hit, getting your macros and various sort of fitness things just to make sure that uh, you're completely squared away. Because, I mean, at this point, what is a combat deployment besides a chance to improve your physical fitness? It's surely it's surely not a way to win any conflicts because, I mean, I think we've already gotten past that threshold. I think I know what it is. I think CrossFit just got really intense and we didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, this is going to sound crass, but yeah, it's like who doesn't dream of designing their own CrossFit workout that's going to be named in memory of them before they die? <laughs> <laughs> Oof, Marone. Um, so what, what do you think? So this, this obsession with kind of like fitness tracking in the, in, in the army, do you think, I, I'm kind, I keep sort of wondering, like, who do we... Uh, but do you think it's because of disingenuousness on the part of the company or just like, you know, so almost like sort of um, like tech fuckery among to borrow a sort of to borrow a phrase that you guys use on your podcast quite a bit, just tech fuckery among sort of young soldiers? I, I honestly think it's the latter. I think that it's unintended consequences. Uh, I think for one, um, I'm wondering in my experience, at least, it's it's less common for there to be things like public Wi-Fi on these bases. So I would imagine that somebody brings something, you know, like a, a device like this, uh, goes on deployment, they train, they wear it to keep track of their own things, and then not realize that when they get back or when they're on leave or something that they upload all this data, and then over time, this has been aggregated. I don't think that um, to be honest with you, the, the, the fitness obsession in the military is not, it's not universal. I mean, there are people who, it, in my experience, at least, I would imagine there would be a small subset of people in the military who'd be really into this. And then, the, but the majority would probably, whether they, I mean, some people deploy and they don't ever work out the whole time they're there. Some people like they literally treat it as a life changing experience where they can get their best marathon time while they're in combat. It's, it's a bizarre world, but I, I honestly think that this is just one of the strange tech not thinking your way through something in the same vein that my, my wife is a data scientist and she's talked about this before that it, you, you know, when you have like Google do face recognition software that they just release into the world and it starts matching black people's faces with monkeys because they literally didn't test the program on anyone who wasn't a white dude. You see that kind of thing happen. You're like, Oh, we should have thought of that in advance. Same thing. We, we should have thought that maybe if we track people's every movements when they're doing fitness and we make it a public heat map, it might, help people dox them and maybe dox the entire U.S. military. But it, it's, it's, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. of course. I was reading something on Twitter when this kind of came out about, I think it was a journalist from The Verge. I can't, I don't know, I don't know their name, who like in 2014 and like brought this up to Strava, like about their privacy policy and the fact that like so much data like was being given to them that it could lead to something like potentially disastrous. And what she said was like, she knew more about Strava's privacy policy than they did. Um, and it kind of like, so when Strava was asked about this, like, um, when it kind of came, came out and was like a big deal, Strava kind of, as far as I were, like they, they dismissed it. Right. So they kind of said, but, oh, it's just like a bug that we can fix. Like they didn't sort of realize how big their fuck up was. And I sort of wonder how that, like how symptomatic that is of like the tech, like these new, like just tech bro culture, or like the startup tech industry generally. Let's move fast and break things. Right. 
Just in this case, it's move, move fast and break cover. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and to be honest with you, this 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 is something that you'll see happen with uh, with other huge fuck ups that involve representation of the military. That if there had been someone who had had any proximity to this, who might have been like, "Hey, we should check to make sure this isn't you know revealing things that might not want to be revealed." I mean, I me personally, I I, I guess at this point, I don't have much of a stake in it, so I think it's kind of hilarious, but. Someone could have said, hey, this is maybe a bad idea. Like, I'm seeing what looks like air bases in Syria. Like, maybe we shouldn't, you know, have this area of the world released. But nobody thought of it until it was too late. And, and I mean, on our show, we got a Facebook message from somebody basically right after Strava released the heat map. Like, when they very, you know, just guilelessly put out their press release like hey guys check out this global map and someone immediately texted us and said holy shit i found the base i was deployed to and it, it, it literally they, they hadn't given it a single moment's thought before they did it and now you know their name is forever linked with the app that doxes you and exposes military positions abroad it's that's it's it I, I it's just it's fucking hilarious to me i honestly can't get over it <laughs> um what was so? Do you remember any of the any of the other other locations? Like where is the uh, where the where the U.S. has troops that they should? Yes, um, there are. You will find Strava heat maps in Mauritania, in Niger, in uh, I, I want to say to some extent in uh, other parts of West Africa. Uh, you might find one in Chad. You can definitely find the outline of the little mini bases besides Camp Lemonier in Djibouti. Um, uh, honestly, if you, it, there's a possibility when you think about it, that with their user base, some of this might be like, you know, gas and oil field workers in places like Algeria. But I know that, for example, a, a guy I worked with when I was in the army had spent a significant amount of time when he was in the 75th Ranger Regiment in Mauritania. So I know we have bases there. Um, and there definitely are bases in Mauritania that show up on the Strava heat map. Um, and I, I would imagine I didn't dig in Southeast Asia, but knowing how many small little bases there are in places like, you know, uh, the island of Mindanao in the Philippines, I bet you you could find some of them there, too. Strava's anti-imperialist praxis, right? <laughs> like, that's the ultimate conclusion that, like, actually, this is a very deliberate move to, like, destroy, to get, like, white chud bros, um, would-be management consultants to just, like, destroy American empire. And I'm all here for it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, why read a book by Max Boot when you can just log on to Strava and know exactly what America's imperial presence looks like? <laughs> and well, how many Weight Watchers points it, it's worth? <laughs> well, you, well, you could, like, you know, I'm pretty sure you could use Strava to, like, um, quantify just, like, how effective... Um, American Empire in like 2018 actually is right. Like you know, you can destroy it in real time, and uh, people can you know, and you can gamify. You can gamify the destruction of Western imperialist powers, and that's pretty cool to me. No, I was just laughing at the idea that's like you used to only have the the numbers of the Department Department of Defense budget, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars spent every year, but now you also can match that to numbers of calories burned and numbers of miles run. It's like so in a way, it's a it's kind of a, a 360 perspective. I'm sort of imagining like Al Qaeda, like you know, killing like a bunch of like U.S. troops somewhere and then taking best like Strava watches, um, and then like oh, and then and then there's like definitely like a story how Strava saved a ho- uh, like saved a whole bunch of dudes because they started running in the shape of SOS. Well, like how like how this for, how this former Al Qaeda operative um, became like the greatest world like greatest long distance runner. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean. I, I, 
I'll tell you, there there was a moment uh, when I was deployed. I remember some some a friend of mine worked as an intelligence officer, and he'd sometimes pull me in when they'd find ridiculous things um, in like data dumps and caches and such. And one of the, the more amazing things I'd ever seen was a, a bunch of photos they pulled off a memory card from a digital camera of. I don't want to say, necessarily say Taliban, but Afghan or Central Asian insurgents in a training camp doing their morning exercises. And it was obvious that they had adapted what had they had probably at one point, some of them had been sort of auxiliaries or paramilitaries trained by the U.S. And they're like, oh, yeah, the U.S. guys, they do a good stretching routine before they run. So there's literally these guys up in the training camp doing exercises that we drill our soldiers on before they go and run, you know, to train to do insurgent fighting. This is kind of amazing. It's like, you know, we, it's like in the 1980s, like we funded the Mujahideen, but we, we, what we didn't know is that we also got them super ripped. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine it's like Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, like everyone thinks he's dead and then he comes out and he's like massively, like he's just like swole. Oh, of course. Uh, it's like, that's what it is. It's like the U.S. Army doesn't just arm them. It also spots them as well. <laughs> Come on, bro, push one more, one more. You can take Mosul, just push a little harder. <laughs> Well, it's like, oh, there's this like American, there's this American YouTube guy. I'm sure like, he's great. Um, just like all the rest of the YouTube people. They're all like American fitness bros who are just like, you can push it. You can go harder. Don't be weak. Don't be a pussy. Um, do it for you. Do it for your country. And I can imagine that's like, that's kind of how Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi like became like hench. Well, that's like, thick. that's One like, thick boy, right? That's there. like how people, <laughs> that's how people get radicalized, but it's also how people get radicalized by like CrossFit. Well, I was going to say the exact same thing that you literally, I mean, like you could, you could do a parallel investigation of extremism and radicalization with how people get radicalized into the sort of Clint, Clint Eastwood movie worldview of America's presence in the world by what, by doing CrossFit and like everything they do is about like break yourself off in memory of this heroic Navy SEAL. Like it, it really, I mean, it, I, I'm, I'm all about fitness things that are you know, unique that get people motivated to work out more. But I would never in a million years do the organized American CrossFit because it's so creepy, like military worship. Yeah. Here, here's the part of the show where I admit I used to do CrossFit. Of course. Oh no, of, of course, course you, you did. Fucking did. Of but for you the, did. for the aesthetic, for the, for like the ethos around it, as opposed <laughs> to the exercises themselves. Why, why were you doing CrossFit? Um, because I, because I was a fat, mind over body because I was a fat teenager. Okay, <laughs> and you know. So did you have like a big like small American guy like scream at you about like your worth shit? No, he was he was an Egyptian Christian with a really high pitched laugh. Oh, okay. Did he wear like a tank top that was completely useless because the nipples were fully out because it was so <laughs> loose? <laughs> I heard that's I, actually I, I heard that's um, part of the new uh, the new U.S. military uniform is uh, is a tank top that is so skinny that the nipples are like out on either side. It's also like it's also uh, spiked merch. Oh, of course. <laughs> it, it blocks the it blocks the nipple, but not the areola. You want to get like it's like well no it's like what the what, what was it the the, the fa- that um, that mullah Omar said to his troops before battle you know don't fire until you see the pink of their areolas. <laughs> <laughs> we're a smart show guys <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just saying i mean i honestly riley i get it I, if you want to do you know olympic weightlifting style things those crossfit gym facilities actually have more than one bar you can lift on so it's great but then you it's like you have to weigh do i want to get radicalized or do i want to just do a conventional workout because unless, <laughs> I mean, unless they give you after hours access to a CrossFit gym, you're going to find yourself peer pressured into doing lots of pull-ups 
with an American flag behind you somehow. It's just oh, going to happen. <laughs> Even as a Canadian. At no, what he- level of CrossFit do they tell you about Zeno? <laughs> I mean, as, as someone who's been radicalized by both ISIS and the alt-right. Uh, <laughs> You start every sentence like that. Um, <laughs> uh, what I can say is that CrossFit at least gives you more benefits. Because, you know, you get, with ISIS, like, you don't even, like, get the gun until, like, you pass the six-month training course. Until you read the secret. Yeah, and, <laughs> and with the alt-right, like, you have to, like, be able to recite all of Jordan Peterson's 12 rules of life uh, while peeing with your pants fully down to your ankles and your shirt fully up. Both things that are very challenging and in my opinion, not worth it. So if you get like rip pecs and like really pointy, like razor sharp nipples doing CrossFit, but I think, I don't know, that's worth, I think that's worth it. I think ultimately, I think what we can conclude about the Strava is that we're, we all actually are wearing one right we're now. We're all wearing them so that people can tell where we are. podcasting heat map. In the caliphate. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that's what it's going to be. Is it? So all the podcasters are going to wear Stravas. So you'll know like where, where they're all recording. And then at some point, someone will do like a heat map of London. Um, and in hacking, like every flat will just like, <laughs> be beaming hot. Well, it's a, I think that the... Um, I can only imagine someone like Mike Flynn, like buying just sort of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Stravas on the basis that, you know, he wants to make sure that the, uh, that the sort of the American, that the American army can look like sort of, you know, the GI Joe dolls that he still collects and keeps under his bed uh, in the original packaging. So they maintain their value. But, um, <laughs> uh, but the, the thing what he doesn't realize is that Mike Flynn was sold all those Stravas by Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi <laughs> in glasses and a fake mustache. Just one second, right? Isn't this, I mean, I, I could like I get my film plots completely wrong because the only film that I really understand is Pacific Rim. Um, <laughs> but wasn't this like essentially the plot to Small Soldiers? Like you know, in Small Soldiers, like the old the old film, they put like microchips in these toys to make them sentient. Um, and these chips are actually made by like the military, right? So I think the end of the movie is that like the military have to shut them down, and because all the chips are in the toys, they can like you know they can shut them down uh, before. Okay, so obviously I've got that plot wrong. No, the, um, the movie's called Swole Soldiers now. Oh, Swole Soldiers, okay. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking that maybe you could, this is actually like the, the continuation of Sun Tzu. You know, if you want to deceive your enemy and make him think that you're stronger than you are, just make sure you get a lot of Strava units and then he'll check the heat map and be like, oh, wow, this is like a division-sized force. I've got to abandon my position. I mean, it's like, it's hybrid warfare, you know, fitness apps to, to fool the enemy into thinking that you're more powerful. If you, if you did a Strava heat map of London, you'd find like loads of people like running around, like, you know, you'd find like loads of like, maps of light around like Battersea Park and like Victoria Park and all that and then you'll go to my house and you'll see like an unbelievable amount of light but that's not because I'm wearing a Strava it's just because I emit so much energy for like having never masturbated before (laughs) Um, so it's like I'm just so strong and so powerful God Mike Flynn wishes he could use you (laughs) yeah uh, shall we move on to some the, other... The, the god particle is in Dartford and Ken shall we we move on to some other uh, military tech fuckery well, I mean, you and I were, were speaking on Twitter and uh, I, I told the story and you, you, you asked me to, to recount it here about um, this, the system called the Bat Hide. Um, is, of course, it's an acronym. I'm sure the acronyms actually contain nested acronyms within it uh, just to make it more confusing. But what it basically amounted to was when I was in Afghanistan, in, in uh, southeastern Afghanistan in 2009, um, 
we had a system that was meant to, it started out as a device that defense contractors sold to the military as a means of creating a registry of people, um, either people who were suspects or people who were applying for jobs uh, to work for the coalition, like Afghan civilians that were applying for jobs like cleaning the dining facility or working in the dining facility or working because you have day laborers and people that would show up on bases and work three shifts a day, you know, either be, you know, 24 hours a day, you've got Afghans working on these bases. And um, so this device was like a shitty Sony Mavica camera from the year 2000. It was this big clunky digital camera that also had um, a fingerprint scanner. And the idea was that you would, when someone would get enrolled, you would take a, a profile picture of them. You take an iris photograph, it would actually get the camera really close up to their eye and take a picture of their irises. And then you'd also take fingerprint scans. So that's how but we're was, winning hearts and minds. Yeah, so was, I, I mean, it's, it's unreal though. Cause it was, it was a piece of shit. Like for one thing, imagine trying to enter in someone's biographical data, you know, one after another with the texting mechanism from like a Nokia phone where you've got like one for a and <laughs> one, one for B. So there's that. Not only that, but People in Afghanistan don't have first name, last name the same way as people do in the West. I mean, it's, it's patronymic, but it's often like you'll have a name, like someone's name might be like Han or Muhammad or something like that, son of, you know, Daud Han or something like that. So trying to get a system where you can match people's information in a country where first names and last names aren't the standard and you're asking American soldiers to type it in with a Nokia touchpad, you can imagine that A, it not, didn't really do much. It didn't, wasn't, 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 you know, it didn't provide matches and B it, it was such a frustrating process that it would take 15 to 20 minutes to enroll a single person. So we, at first this was started as a thing like, Hey, this will make your process easier. But of course, like lots of dumb technology in the military, it became the purpose behind missions. And I'm telling you, I mean, I, I know you know, friends of mine who are platoon leaders who'd get missions to go, Hey, go to this village and meet with the elders and get them to let you you know, get everybody in the village enrolled in this system. So this thing would take hours, you know, 12 hours to do. It wasn't necessarily productive in any way. Um, In some cases, people would come up with matches that were absurd. Like literally a person in front of you would come up as a match with a dead body or someone who was a kid would come up as a match with like literally a child in front of you or like a 14 year old. And he's enrolled and he's like, Oh, are you a 50 year old insurgent from across the country? Like, it was absolutely absurd. And then even more so, a buddy of mine told me that the, the person who managed the enrollments like would get all the data, download off the cameras and enroll it in like the, the server, at least on our base, was like apparently addicted to pills. And so like he just fucked up and, and, and enrolled for different regions of the country. So effectively, I can only imagine how many hours of, you know, hundreds of hours of time was wasted, how much people's privacy got violated for no reason. And it all comes down to this idea that like the tech is going to solve the problem and then the tech becomes the problem. But you could play a killer game of snake. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's looking back on it, like you just sort of adapt. You're like, oh yeah, all right, it's our mission. You know, fucking enroll people in this stupid camera. But then as looking back on it now, I'm like, what a, what an absolute nightmare. (laughs) Like not only is this just like a bizarre, probably illegal thing to make people do. It was just, it was useless. Utterly insane. And then so what happens is like they, they want to justify their procurement. So they keep getting you to just like, no, we're sticking to this thing. We're absolutely going to stick to it. That is actually not even the most absurd one that I that I've encountered. I think the one that was the most insane was um, there was this there, there was a problem. And uh, years ago, so in Iraq, they were dealing with problems where 
people in turrets of Humvees, like in the up turret of the vehicle would get shot by snipers. And by the time that people realized what was happening, they wouldn't have any idea where the shot came from because the shot would ring out and it might be, you know, in a city or a village or just people would, would all be facing different directions. And so whether or not this was a massive problem, I have no idea. But of course, defense contractors want to make money on imaginary problems. So they create this thing that looked like, do you remember the bumble ball? It was a toy for kids. It was kind of an American thing, but it looked like a like a, a round ball with weird little spongy divots and it like vibrated and bounced. You know what I'm talking about? I, I kind of have. Sounds like a weird sex toy. <laughs> they, they, they have them in the Michael Jackson video Scream. If you remember that, they've got them all over the floor in like the spaceship they live in or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself. I'm like 33, but this, this might be ancient history to, to most people listening. Um, so it looked like that. It was a ball with microphones sticking out of it that they would install on the top of your vehicle. And like if a shot rang out, it's supposed to calculate on its computer and tell you where it's, where it's coming from, right? So this thing feasibly worked okay in, in a vehicle. Like, I don't know because I never was in one, but I mean, I, I would imagine it must have passed some test. They're like, yeah, you know, it, it gives you a cardinal direction. It gives you a compass direction of like where a shot came from. So the defense contractors had this great idea. If this works on vehicles, let's make a system that people can wear. Now, so the idea is you're going to wear a microphone and the microphone is on your body with a battery pack. And if a sniper shoots at you, it'll tell you where it came from. Except, number one, <laughs> you can't shoot back. Because if you shoot back, then it's going to tell, it's going to be like, oh shit, there's shots coming from you. <laughs> Secondly, it also is predicated on the notion that you're not going to, you know, it's going to tell you where it came from based on where you were standing and facing when the shot rang out. So effectively for this thing to work, if a sniper is shooting at you, you have to stand perfectly still, not shoot back and like wait for this TI-83 calculator to spin through it. Seem <laughs> like, up, oh, all right, there it is. I'm getting shot at from over there. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's, that's because it, it knows. Again, I think this is more Michael Flynn-led procurement, where <laughs> he, he's, he's like, no, American soldiers are strong. Uh, American soldiers will stand firm, and they will know when they are killed by the second sniper bullet where <laughs> that bullet came from. I mean, well, it, it, it sort of feels as if, like, they've taken American Sniper to be, like, an actual literal documentary. <laughs> Okay, so the first idea sounds like it was some bizarre version of, like, eHarmony. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second thing is literally, like, a device that's like, it's gonna tell you it's raining when it's already raining. <laughs> You're being rained on. <laughs> what the hell is that? But, but these things literally cost, like, in the thousands of dollars per unit, and I know that my unit wasn't the only one that had them delivered, like, to the point where an entire company, maybe even the entire 700 man battalion could have been fitted with one. And so what happened is we got them delivered in theater and like so many good ideas that, you know, could have paid for socialized healthcare or college educations in America. They just sat in shipping containers in Afghanistan and never got unpacked because who the fuck would use that? I mean, like for one, it's stupid for two, for another, it's another heavy piece of equipment you have to wear when you already look like Robocop. I know who's going to use it once again. I think this is another issue where we are, well, we, you guys are once again, arming the Taliban and they're going to use this to all get incredible at singing and then win American Idol. <laughs> we love our Robocops. They are our law enforcement. Oh my God. Um, can, we, can we splice that song in at some point? Can we, can we, can we slice it? Think, I think we need to buy these microphones and we need to sell it off as like a cool, sexy new gadget. Like give it like a one word name with like 
that's a misspelled common word. Singshot. There we go. Bam. So what is it? What does it do? Uh, I'm thinking I'm wearing it on me and I'm like, who, like to see the direction of cat call that's coming at me. But you have to stay perfectly still until perfectly they tell you. <laughs> a couple of guys drive along in a car and they're like, hey, smile, honey. You're like, stay perfectly still. All right. <laughs> Freeze up. Wait a second. Okay. Uh, I think he's coming from right in front of you. I'm not sure though. <laughs> oh, oh my God. It's that, it's that giant muscly guy from Essex. The, the, the American army is trying to reinvent the ear. <laughs> it's the, uh, take the A out. Yeah. So, uh, dot. so yeah, it's like, it's like you've got like a, like a, like a sort of creepy police state version of, um, your boyfriend of uh, <laughs> yeah, you have a creepy police state version of like LinkedIn or eHarmony, right? Um, well, I also and for me they're one and the same. <laughs> I only I only fuck off LinkedIn. Exactly. Um, no, sorry, no. And I get my jobs off of eHarmony. No, we only fuck off Matt Hancock. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, Nate, do you hear about this? No, go ahead. Um, do you hear that uh, Matt Hancock, the uh, UK's uh, minister for like digital, uh, has created an app called Matt Hancock that replicates all the functions of Twitter, but it's just branded as this MP, designed so people in his constituency can get in touch with him, but instead it's just attracted all of left Twitter, which shit posts on it constantly. <laughs> <laughs> See, we get most of our listeners uh, through through actually our, our posting on Matt Hancock. <laughs> I met my boyfriend uh, on Matt that, Hancock. That's one of those unreal things that like doesn't surprise me at all because it it, it just seems that I mean I don't know if if politicians have done similarly like flat footed tech things in the U.S. but I'm sure there's at least one. But any time that you try to juke social media to work in your favor, it seems like that's just an invitation to bring bring down, you know, a little bit of hurt on yourself. Um, and I'm saying this somewhat distractedly as I'm registering an account on matthancock.com. <laughs> <laughs> join us on Matt Hancock. Um, join, join our filthy, yeah, the girls DM on Matt Hancock. <laughs> Sorry, the, the boys DM on Matt Hancock is, I can't wait to make, to, to do better for our community, to work hard, and then maybe we can all build a better Somerset or wherever he is from, uh, together. <laughs> girls DM on Matt Hancock. Yo, you think Matt Hancock, <laughs> yo, yo, you think Matt Hancock eats ass? <laughs> so, yeah, that's, um, it, that's the, but that's sort of what, what struck me about the, um, about this, the, the first, the first thing, this, uh, sort of weird insurgent e-harmony uh, was that like it's used for both people who are working on, working on the base and also people who you want to keep track of. And there's there in the same database being registered on the same completely failure prone system. I can't see how that would go horrifyingly wrong. Uh, despite the fact that I think we should probably acknowledge that, you know, it was just it was probably wrong to be doing that in the first place. It's hilarious. They did it so badly. <laughs> The one thing that you that you you've come to discover anytime that you were, use information technology in the military is that I mean, at the risk of sounding like some sort of Elon Musk fanboy or free market privatizer, what you discover is that it, it, what, what you find is that it's always like no bid shit that is somehow procured by somebody who's a re retired military officer or something along those lines. And so the stuff hasn't been tested. It literally, it goes from like concept to we bought it and we're delivering it to you. And you, I mean, I, I don't, I, I, it's hard to go without a visual, but there's just so much crap technology that gets defeated by the simplest things like 
um, we had this great big battle simulator that was like this integral part of the class I was in when I was you know training to be a company commander. Yeah, World and of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. It, it was like a it was like a like a like an automated GPS board game kind of shit. But the problem was they set it up in all these classrooms. It was meant to be like a like a if you were like controlling the battle from the operations center. But apparently the contractor ran the wrong kind of cable all the way across Fort Benning, like all fifty miles of cable, so none of the machines could talk to one another. So it just sat in the room with these monitors we never turned on the whole six month I was in this course. It was just a cheese string. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. It's, that's the but that's the thing is like it's when you have a when you have a defense department like that where like you know its budget is just constantly expanding and exploding. You're gonna get situations where it's just like yeah, fuck it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even need to work. We just have to spend the money. Who are we gonna spend it with? I think let's, let's spend it with our friends. <laughs> I have like I've just this uh, reminds me of you have this massive bloated defense budget that's paying for all sorts of absurd things, but then. You, you push the button in the water fountain to try to get water and like ants come out or you have uh, <laughs> like you just have black mold everywhere in, in barracks rooms. I mean, we did an, a full inventory of all of the barracks in our, my, my battalion right before I got out of the army when I was stationed in Korea. And the best way I can describe the U.S. Army in Korea is like it's like living in children of men. Like you have all this crazy future technology, but everyone hates their life and they just, the future doesn't exist. So it's just like everything's broken and shitty, but everyone has smartphones. It's the, I mean, like, it's unbelievably gross. The future that liberals want. <laughs> well, kind of. Um, so shall we, shall we, shall we dunk on the Muskenegger? We can. I'm just wondering, should we? Yeah, bring, let's get Milo Should we get Milo on? Okay. Yeah, okay, cool. And, okay. uh, Milo, when you say um, that you're on a trip with your girlfriend, are you implying that you found love unlike Elon Musk? I found love on, on Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> Milo, you've been really quiet for the first half of, uh, of this segment. Yeah, I mean, truly, truly the storyline of Rihanna's We Found Love in a Hopeless Place. <laughs> Finding love on Elon Musk. Um, who is on the surface of Mars? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you've been very quiet for the first half of this podcast, but you've definitely been here and didn't just pick I up know, the call I know. now. I was just being cogitative. You know, what I like, I like to observe. <laughs> I only really say something when I've got a fully formed hot take. Yeah, that's, that's my style. So basically, you're, Milo so hit basically it's like every call me. every guy who identifies as a cuckold exactly Um, you can't be a cuckold if you're a cell um shall we shall we talk musk oh absolutely that that opens itself to so many interpretations i'm really excited i'm inviting everybody to smell under my arms uh, and we're going to talk about all of the things that we can tell um nate and milo i'd like you to open up the envelopes i've sent you uh that should be arriving about now and we're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. This is Riley. This, this envelope is just full of Pizza Hut vouchers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, to help you get laid, bro. 
Okay, okay, fair enough. So um, what we know is uh, that uh, Elon Musk recently uh, launched his Falcon Heavy uh, rocket into space. Um, which, not a euphemism. Yeah, no, not, not a euphemism. It was all very literal. Um, and Dr. Madsen Peary... Although I think he probably does use that as a euphemism. Oh, almost certainly. Also. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how, how women love it when you refer to their vaginas as space. <laughs> I can attest to that. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine that like Elon Musk would try and compliment a woman, but would have no idea how. Like, oh, yes, you, you, you have such a wonderful, spacious vagina. <laughs> so uh, doc- it's a complete vacuum. I don't think it's abnormal to try to attempt a South or a South African accent and then just start talking like the Terminator. I mean, I think in our minds, that's basically the, the space Elon Musk occupies. <laughs> I bet Elon Musk is like terrible at sex, but then he like uses it, uses his like philosophy as an excuse. He's like, I want to reinvent sex. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, Dr. Madsen Peary of the Adam Smith Institute uh, someone with whom we are relatively familiar on Trash Future, having read his Millennial Manifesto a while back. Ah, is he, he's the author of the, ma- the Millennial Manifesto. Mm. He's the author of the Millennial Manifesto, and apparently this, like, you know, love letter to Elon Musk, this, uh, this bust letter he's written to Elon Musk. Ass-eating pioneer, Madsen Perry. Dr. Madsen Perry. Me up, fam. I thought the warning label on a pack of Xanax is the Millennial Manifesto. <laughs> no, that's the SoundCloud rapper manifesto. <laughs> anyway, fuck me up, fam. Okay, so <laughs> the um, the successful launch of Elon Musk's Falcon Heavy, whimsically sending aloft a Tesla Roadster driven by a space-suited mannequin, highlights a new group of players on the economic scene driving technology forward. They are the billionaire boys who use money made elsewhere to pursue interests on the cutting edge of exciting technologies. I mean, that's one way to describe people who um, do deep, deep fake porn. Yeah. 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 Those, that's just, those are just words, aren't they? There's like lots of words that are strung off on a page and they mean absolutely fucking nothing. No, not at all. It's basically what, what... The Billionaire Boys really does sound like a rap collector. I mean, My bil- dad. I mean, billionaire, billionaire, Boys Boy. Club, billionaire Boys Club was the fashion label Farrell. of Farrell. Pharrell Williams, yeah. Pharrell. Yeah, and um, Pharrell Williams was going to launch us into space with his amazing music. Didn't you pay attention? <laughs> um, so all when, the secrets were stored in his big... Fe- Olga is actually the prodigal sister of the Coke All family. the secrets <laughs> were stored in his big fedora. Spiritual. But uh, with this... I. She's a big fancy boy. I would, no, I love the idea of referring to a grown ass old man as a billionaire boy. Uh, <laughs> is this is kind of the core of Peary's argument. He says that these are basically a bunch of like excitable, gro- overgrown teenagers who are using like their billions that they make doing boring stuff to do all the fun shit, basically. And he has a couple of, of examples, uh, which I really, really, the first one is just amazing. The first one I fucking love. Um, Paul Allen, who found, co-founded Microsoft with Bill Gates, uh, put $25 million of his own money to fund, you know, yada, 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 um, another space program, who backed it not for a return, but to speed up access to space by private citizens. As a sideline, Allen also funds the Allen Institute for Brain Science, which is also can be referred to as the Rick and Morty Writer's Room. <laughs> <laughs> But what gets me with that one is that Alan has backed a space shuttle program not for a return, but to speed up access to space for private citizens. 
I, I, I'm call me, call me cynical, but I don't fully believe what yeah. uh, Dr. Madsen Peary is, is saying right here. I'm not going to take that Xanax doctor. Well, I just asked myself the question, like if wealthy people can pay to go to space, like what, what do you expect them to do once they're there? I mean, is there really this captive group of people who are incredibly wealthy, who are just like, holy shit, I've climbed Everest. Now I have to be in space. It just makes me think they must be something else. And I can't even imagine what they're going to get up to. But uh, like, it doesn't seem like a particularly safe course of action to be like, oh, it's billionaires. It's harmless. They won't do anything bad. Look, if you want to know what they're doing there, just make them wear their straw. Well, if what they do on private planes is anything to go by, probably fuck children. <laughs> I, I, I think that's like giving billionaires a lot of credit. Like during like, what well, during the 18th, 19th century, when like in imperialist Europe, like rich people used to go on like all these jollies to like remote parts of Africa and like South Asia and stuff. I mean, they used to do it just because like, just because they could, like there's uncounted like documents of just like rich families who didn't buy any land. They didn't kind of like buy, you know, slaves or whatever. They just went because they literally had the money to do it. And it was like a status symbol you know, and some of them, I guess, would like bring back art or like, you know, stuff like that. So I guess in this case, it'd be like, well, you can bring back moon rocks or in this case, it's like it's so Elon Musk yeah. can send his and this always fucking gets me cherry red. Why does he say cherry red? He's a rockabilly douchebag. <laughs> he said it's so because he's, he's a fucking nerd. He's obsessed with the Dulux color chart. Um, like if I had a time machine, I wouldn't go back in time and kill Hitler. I'd go back in time and bully Elon Musk at school because that's clearly <laughs> what should have happened. It's like the American Psycho, where like they all get obsessed with the same color of white on the business card, yeah. like bone white but, and like cerulean and all that shit. He, oh, yeah. he does that, and he also has a David Bowie's Space Oddity playing on the speaker, and then has carved "Don't Panic" into the dashboard. So it's like. Like the, like the like the plutocrats of like the ancient world, like they built triumphal arches and pyramids and whatever, are insane plutocrats. And I've also Matt Chrisman on Chapo advanced the theory that our our sort of towering monuments to our in, our decadent society are the Transformers movies. I'm thinking actually no, our monument to the, the sort of towering inequality of our stupid plutocracy is Elon Musk basically making a bunch of like epic bacon Reddit references and sending his car into space in a way that makes people like like it on Twitter. I mean, I love that notion that it's like, oh, I've, I've, I've launched this car with all these nerd shibboleths on it. Uh, never mind the fact that I'm going to crush unions and like my factories have cars falling on people all the time. It's like, yes, Elon Musk is like, he's my boss and he's my best friend. So I'm going to understand when he kills me. <laughs> hey, look, I'm just, I'm. Wait, hang on a minute. Are the Tesla factory is like an old silent film where like people are being crushed by heavy objects all the time and there's like ragtime piano playing <laughs> in the background. Well, I mean, there was a recent headline about Elon Musk saying like, if you vote down the United Auto Workers, I'll build you a roller coaster. And it's just like, I, I feel like you could put an entire room of comedy writers together to come up with the, the, the most hateable billionaire on the planet. And they could spend, you do like a doctoral research amount, doctoral thesis amount of research for it and turn around and just be like, Oh, that sucks. Like he did it way worse just on the fly. Like <laughs> nothing about him seems like it could be real. It seems like it yeah. like it's being calibrated to make you hate him and somehow make make the Adam Smith Institute and tech writers fall all over themselves for it. Yeah. The billionaire the comedy writers would design would be more hateable only in the respect that he would also say bazinga. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you just you watch like there's like somewhere there's like some 19 year old who's gotten rich off of like Baroness Moan's uh, cryptocurrency <laughs> offering. Um and, you know, is already, you know, going to like 
he's designing his own fucking space program where he's going to like se- like send lil pumps like you know mummified remains i'm just assuming this is going to be in you know a, a long time after you know god rest i love lil pump uh, <laughs> uh, i'm going to even take it again cuz i don't even want to imply this this is a world where lil pump might die <laughs> i'm going to start again uh, where, yeah where, apologies for lil <laughs> But where he just sends like a fucking bottle of Xanax into space or whatever, because it's like, ah, oh, yes, this is what I can do. And it's going to be it's going to be this fucking this this cutesy nonsense that's just designed to pander to people. Or like, you know, what we'll eventually do, which is when we make enough crypto, when we have enough crypto kitties to start our own, the trash future space program. Uh, we'll send up a bunch of white Coke shirts into space. <laughs> Can you please send, send, send me up there with a lifetime pillows. supply of fuel and a mirror? <laughs> I mean, okay, so we, so, so, we, so we joke about this, but like, what if there is, what if the, you know, I can totally see a future where people like like idiot rich idiots will just literally send anything into space. So rather than like the internet of things, we'll just have like, the fucking like vacuous orbit of shit that you know fucking private school preppy kids decide to do on a day off instead of like throat tying your shoes together and throwing them over a wire they're gonna <laughs> tie your shoes together and launch them into space <laughs> i said question will the juicero work in a vacuum <laughs> um so uh this is but this is this is kind of something i've been i've been thinking about right like on a on a slight, like, slightly serious note Right. Like the moment Elon Musk launched this rocket, the era of even notional democratic control over space travel was over. It's done. It's now never coming back. We are net with no space because all space future space program funding is going to be through grants to like private corporations. Congratulations. The space industry is now the defense industry. I mean, it's the yeah. same thing now. I've, and, 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 you know, it's this, this article kind of, kind of praises Elon Musk for uh, saying, oh, yes, when NASA failed to get us into space continually, Elon Musk was able to do it. We should trust the free market. You know, but this article also fails to mention that NASA's budget has been cut every single year since it actually managed to land on the moon. And so, of course, when there's massive amounts of capital, it's being held by some dipshit who invented a way to buy porn securely on the internet and pay for shit on Depop. Well, of, of course, he's just going to use all of his money to do it as a fucking lark. But the only reason we even have space travel is so that he can have his fucking lark because we've defunded the possibility to ever control it democratically. Like, it's gone. And it's gone and it's never coming back. And it fucking infuriates me. Until we have the trash future space program, then you're going to love it. <laughs> I mean, I mean there, is, yeah. there is a point to that. Patreon-funded space, baby. <laughs> but I mean, very, very, there's that kind of very troubling notion, which I guess the Adam Smith Institute article is sort of suggesting, eventually, which will be like, we're not necessarily talking about the democratic, dem- democratization of space travel in the sense that we have like government funded space programs with like objectives that go beyond kind of making beyond quick getting Logan Paul to vlog from space. <laughs> oh my God. That's going to happen. Isn't <laughs> it's it? Um, so going to happen. Well, no, YouTube, <laughs> YouTube like has demonetized all his videos, right? Logan Paul social experiment going to cl- open the airlock. So Jake, so Jake Paul won, won the battle of the pools. Mm. Um, the Batman versus Superman of the YouTube world uh, has been decided. So it'll be Jake Paul. That will be <laughs> the first vlogger to vlog from space. Um, Either that or like that, like I want the balls to go to space purely because it slightly increases the chance of them being eaten by space cannibals. (laughs) Space cannibals. Um, But I guess like the idea that the Adam Smith Institute is sort of putting forward is that like, 
you know, by giving space travel into private hands, it will make space travel cheaper, which means that anyone can eventually, you know, you don't have to um, rely on like governments to, uh, you know, have objectives about what they want to, you know, what should be achieved and what the purpose of like this sort of travel is. Um, you know, private companies can do that and they can make oh, those decisions fuck. better. Uh, We're going to get Ryanair space, aren't we? Like, yeah, you can go to Mars for 40 quid, but you've got to stand the whole way and pay to take a piss. <laughs> yeah. But then it, it opens up this question about like, well, when you give it, when you, if you do give it to private, well, I mean, look, eventually what's going to happen is something that we already knew from like the mid 2000s anyway, which is that like Richard Branson is going to own space travel in the UK, um, in which... You know, you will have a ship, you will have to sit on the floor while the rocket goes up, but you are allowed to read the Daily Mail, um, which is great for me because I can't miss any of Simon Heffer's columns. They're so good. I, all, I read, them when, I read them like when I'm half nude, read and mad online. Wait, Mr. Branson, are you saying that your new plan is just to sue the NHS again? No, no, no. Not just sue the NHS. We're going to sue the NHS from space <laughs> <laughs> hey what does that mean for like jurisdictions is like if you've got like some like go like uh when you've got like some crony loon um you know who's who is trying to kind of like sue the nhs uh and you can't touch him because like technically he's in space and well, that's what i was thinking all taxes yeah so i think like rich people are going to go to space and they're going to do a bunch of shit that, that's illegal here first of all tax avoidance second of all slavery wanking, wanking. Oh, yeah, slavery for sure. Slavery for sure. First order of business. Back. Uh, a, a Republican Senate candidate explaining to the press that the child was actually 18 in space year. We, we, you, we talk about this, um, sort of what, what the motivations are. And, you know, I, I've sort of hinted this. But what Madsen Peary says is what struck me upon, uh, he was with several of these billionaires. What struck me was very forcibly, was how boyish they all are, bubbling with enthusiasm over new gadgets and ventures. These are boys who can afford to play with very expensive toys, and their enthusiasm is bringing forward the day when their toys become available to the rest of us at affordable prices. Ah, yes, because as we know, with rich, uh, privately entitled boys, they are very, very happy to be sharing um, sharing their toys with us. But, but also the idea that that's some sort of singular characteristic. It's like, it's, it's, it's solely based on your boyish enthusiasm that you become able to explore space as opposed to, I don't know, like not having to worry about normal people problems because as you described it, you invented the porn currency in the 90s. And so now things are just easy. You, and, it, and, you, and, it's the, and it's this whole thing, right? Where Madsen Peary is saying, we have to wait for billionaires to have whims for shit before we get to have that shit. You know, so, so the, so, in, so, it, so yeah. it's like, he's, it, well, he may be saying he's a libertarian, but actually like, this is what I think what really shows the ass of libertarianism is that it's all about kind of advocating slavish dependence on the, um, on, on the whims of the already rich. So, you know, it's, he's saying, ah, yes, we're free because we'd go to space because Elon Musk is doing it. It's like, well, no, we're free to go to space because, you know, someone once like flicked Elon, nuts, Elon Musk in the nuts when he was a kid and then told him he'd never go to space unless he invented a porn currency. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I really like the idea of Elon nuts, like an Elon Musk, but who's com controlled by the editorial team at Nuts Magazine. <laughs> uh, guys, I've decided to invest $400 billion in big ass titties. <laughs> But, but I mean, I, so living in, in New York where we 
experience transit hell on a day-to-day basis and you see just how almost impossible it seems to make any incremental progress. When somebody like Elon Musk shows up and says like, they've already given me a green light. I'm just going to dig a tunnel from DC to New York and it's just going to happen just because. And it's like no thought put forth to, I don't know, maybe you might have to secure planning permission or, or maybe, you know, you might precipitate an environmental crisis when you just put your tunnel machine and dig a hole and not even, you know, devil may care about it. And it's like, take that, but that's at least on planet Earth where gravity applies. Like what happens when you have that attitude in space where, I mean, you don't even know what, I mean, you're taking the same kind of risk with when they detonated the first atom bomb. They're like, well, it might set the atmosphere on fire and kill everyone, but we know we got to test it out to make sure. But at least it will happen to a David Bowie soundtrack. (laughs) If we ever launch anything into space, it would be to like Limp Biscuits rolling, right? No, 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 I told you it would be to down with the sickness. (laughs) And we'd launch, we'd launch a, 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 every copy of Spiked into space, which is going to be like our version of the, um, the golden record on Voyager. <laughs> you know, so a- aliens we are going to get to read We would launch Brendan Spiked. O'Neill's platform into space so we could never have it back. So he basically said, Matt Simperi finishes this article saying the billionaire boys want to see tomorrow and are putting resources into making it come sooner. <laughs> and the rate of technological progress is accelerating uh-huh. because of their activities. It's just fucking, I, I, I'm, I thought I was going to be mad. I'm just tired at this point. That's because we've recorded this twice. <laughs> um, but, but I also, th- yeah. I love that idea that it's like progress in measure is measured in how nifty these things are versus like how it impacts the way life is lived by normal people who, you know, can't afford to launch cars into space on a whim and watching, I, I mean, you you see that these these inventions these things that these guys are are just completely off it about like they're they're so excited about inventing some new gizmo that doesn't even really make that much of a difference it just sort of it either sucks capital from something that had previously been you know empowering a group of people that might have a union or it solves a problem no one really cares about and i mean i get it okay they're launching a rocket that can land that's great but to be perfectly honest with you like I just don't know if that's the right problem to be solving. And in the same vein that I don't trust Elon Musk to make decisions about anything, certainly not from a guy who, you know, it clearly has his priorities kind of fucked up. And I don't know, I just, if Elon Musk is the model billionaire, I keep thinking to myself like, yeah, but what about all the bad ones? What about the ones that like, we already know, like, like Paul Dacker, like what about, I don't know, the Koch brothers? Like, do you really want to give those people access to all the satellites in the world? Do you really want to give, give those people the chance to just, you're like, oh yeah, have free reign. I don't know. Build a civilization under the ocean. Nothing can go wrong. Well, the, the thing with the Adam Smith Institute is that they don't think any of that, right? So they think any billionaire is by and large good. That's so how he became a billionaire by being so yeah, good. Yeah. Because he was unique because he it's was literally a, a measure of goodness because they were uniquely talented. And if they weren't uniquely talented and if, if they didn't have to do what they, if they didn't do what they had to do by ASI standards, um, they wouldn't have gotten to where they, are now so they're kind of like they're very oblivious to or not even oblivious because i don't think they're st- i don't think any of them are like st- like stupid i think that they deliberately like ignore these things i think because... elon musk might be stupid <laughs> um but like you know the, you know the, ch- the chuds at the asi might wear like stupid bow ties right um and they may wear them uh while they uh pass builders on the street and then wonder why the builders laugh at them uh, <laughs> but you know i think they deliberately kind of ignore these very kind of structural problems um because if they had to acknowledge them then they'd sort of realize that actually like 
the whole ideology, but billionaires are great because they're boys who can do jokes on YouTube and are sometimes like, sometimes can tell a joke on Reddit. Um, so therefore, like, they must be fine. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say that the reason why Elon Musk is the good billionaire is because not only has Elon Musk come from the future to save us, um, but also because, you know, Elon Musk is a normal guy with normal problems, like becoming the villain from Total Recall. Also, Elon Musk is an African-American billionaire. What they don't realize is that Elon Musk's grand strategy is to control the entire flow of information, much like the villains of Metal Gear Solid 2, with the sole point of mm. capturing anyone who has memory of him when his hair fell out and erasing <laughs> it forever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I think that's as good a place as any to, uh, to call this one. Ooh, that was a good side. It was a, it was a good, that was a fun one. Uh, Nate, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find more of you? Yeah, uh, if you're interested in hearing more about how the U.S. military is something of a hell world, uh, listen to my podcast with with Francis. It's called What a Hell of a Way to Die. We're on all the same channels as uh, your, your, your great hosts here. And uh, thanks for listening. Yo, thank you so much again thanks, for coming man. on. Um, and okay, yeah, yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, Milo, uh, enjoy the enjoy your day that you've just woken up early for. Uh, Usain and Olga. I know. Let's go, get, let's go get a drink or something. Exactly, one glass of water. <laughs> All right. Cherry oh, yeah. red. Guys. Nice. Cherry red. <laughs> All right, later, guys. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye.